When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tag Republic podcast, a weekly chat with Carolina Guzik about all things marketing. Some episodes are short tips that you can implement in your business right away, while others are in-depth conversations with industry leaders. Whether you're a new photographer searching for some knowledge or an established professional with years of experience, Carolina offers fresh and innovative advice that can help you transform your photography business. Hello there, welcome to the Tag Republic podcast. The following episode is an audio recording from a live broadcast we did on our Facebook page. During the chat, you will hear questions from the audience and even shout outs we give to the people that attended. If you want to be a part of the live broadcast, please make sure you follow us on Facebook so you don't miss a thing. Now, enjoy this episode. Alrighty, David, let's do this. I am super excited to have you today on the Tag Republic uh, this is something that I've been really, really, really excited about uh, talking to somebody that does travel photography. It was my dream as a child, and I think it was a dream of a lot of photographers, those, you know, National Geographic moments that we all had. And finally, you know, you're here today to talk about this. So how are you doing today, David? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, really excited to to be here and uh, excited for the first time. You know, most photographers I know are so excited to be traveling. I'm excited for the first time in a long time to not be traveling. This is my first opportunity to kind of kind of be at home for a little while. I I think that that I mean, always you know, the grass is greener on the other side, and we always have those like, oh, it should be so nice to be you know traveling, and there we are. Sometimes we just want to be home for a little bit. Well, it is nice. It's really nice to to travel, but uh, it's it's also nice to you know. I mean, especially you make a if you spend a lot of time traveling, you spend a lot of time making photographs. At some point, you've got to come home and do something with the photographs. You've got to put them into books and print. And I have found myself uh, without the time to do that, and my hard drives are filling up, and I haven't had the chance to. So now I have uh, several months of being at home and doing the other kind of work. So it's the time to do admin work now. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. So David, while we wait for some people to join us live and that while I check the audio and all that, what about you? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Yeah. uh, So my name is David Dushman. I'm a Canadian travel uh, and humanitarian photographer. Uh, Increasingly, my work is shifting away from the humanitarian work and focusing more on conservation uh, work and then most of my living is now made by educating other photographers, both in terms of business and how to make uh, both a life and a living with your camera. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me, but also helping people understand that it's more than just about the camera. That if you want to make photographs that have got life and soul and tell a story, that it uh, it has as much to do with or more to do with your vision and um, 
who you are as a person than it does uh, with the gear that we carry. There's a lot of conversations out there by other photographers about gear. Uh, I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that wants to uh, be a voice of sanity in this industry and remind people that no matter what the gear is, uh, the stuff you have is probably good enough and there's always going to be something better. And uh, it can become a bit of a, um, a treadmill that we get on. I would rather people upgrade the photographer than upgrade the camera and uh, you know their latest lenses. So um, I spent a lot of my year traveling and making photographs and many of those images go into uh, magazines, uh, into books. I do print sales, um, but uh, a lot of those images uh, just simply get used for uh, educational purposes because um, I, as much as everyone wants to be a, you know, a professional photographer, I've actually worked really hard to have little to no clients so that I can do the stuff that I love. And, and clients are wonderful. Clients pay the bills, uh, but clients also can get in the way and, uh, you know, restrict your creativity. I have worked really hard to make it so that I am my only client and um, anyone else that I work for, I work for on a pro bono basis. So I maintain my creative control. So oh, I like that. That's I'm... my really long elevator pitch. My elevator goes it's in a really tall building. <laughs> I like it. It sounds good. Awesome. So I like, gosh, I like so many of the great things that you said about, you know, your, your work and working pro bono to maintain your creativity and your vision. And I think that's important. And I also love the fact that you mentioned that sometimes we can get really caught up in technology and having the latest gear and at the end of the day the gear doesn't make the photo is the vision and you know the photographer that makes the photo right right awesome right. so that is really important for people i think especially new people coming into the industry they feel that they need to have all this gear and all that when in reality as you said you just need to have a clear mind perhaps to see the beauty of what is happening around you Certainly, I would say that the gear definitely matters, uh, and there are some areas where the gear matters more than other areas. Uh, but uh, to obsess about the gear without being equally obsessive about the vision and the story and the experience people are going to have with that photograph, I think is is short sighted, and it's probably the reason why we have got so. I mean, we have billions of photographs being published to Instagram every day. And so many of them, at least from my perspective, uh, lack a particular, they lack story or they lack uh, authenticity to the photographer um, because they are merely sharp or they're, you know, they're really, really big, but they're not really deep. And mm. my hope for the people that I interact with is to, they've already got the sharpness. They've already got the latest camera. I want to encourage them now that they have that to go deeper and not to obsess about how sharp it is or how great the dynamic range is. Those are just tools and not every photograph even needs to be sharp or needs to have great dynamic range. In fact, I like really low dynamic range images. I'm going to start a whole thing about LDR, low dynamic range. <laughs> right, it might be a new movement. I like that. So let's talk about, I mean, first of all, you are a best-selling author. You have written many books and your latest book it's called soul of the camera mm -hmm. and i want you to i mean i know that in itself could be a whole week of you know topic but what is that what are pictures with soul and as photographers how could we attain that 
Uh, well, as you said, it's it's a long conversation, <laughs> but I think the the idea is that uh, the camera can only do so much. That if our photographs are going to resonate with other human beings, it will not be because of the technology. It, we will not resonate. Nobody says, oh my God, I love David's pictures. His histograms must be amazing. They don't, uh, they don't look at them and, and say, wow, those sure are a lot of megapixels. If anyone is going to respond to the photograph, it will be a, a heart response or a soul response. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that in order to make photographs with soul, I think we have to be soulful ourselves in the sense that we it's our job to engage our imagination to find something to say that is more than just merely hey look at this thing but but ventures an opinion that risks saying something about that thing rather than merely showing it to the world but interpreting it and that requires beyond all the gear that requires a level of introspection it requires us to um, to know what we want to say and to be uh, to be willing to pursue the more human elements of photography. So in the book, I talk about not the role of the camera and lenses, but the role of curiosity and patience and discipline and a willingness to learn um, about and change our taste in terms of uh, what we're attracted to visually and in the arts and and rounding out photographers who so often tend to be very uh, laser focused on uh, specific genres. You know, I, people ask me all the time, what's the best wildlife lens or the best portrait lens? And that tells me that they're thinking too narrowly. They're not thinking creatively enough because there is no such thing as the best landscape lens. I've photographed landscapes from 15 millimeters to 300 millimeters and the same with people and wildlife. I photograph all my underwater wildlife with a 15 millimeter fisheye. Um, I rarely photograph grizzly bears and um, lions uh, with that same lens. I more often use a 600 millimeter lens or 200. So the the fact that we get so laser focused on these issues rather than saying, you know, not what is the best landscape lens, but in this landscape, in this light, at this moment, what do I want to say? And in light of that, would it be better to use a 21 millimeter lens or a tilt shift? Or do I want to isolate and compress and use a longer lens for this? So that's kind of, that's, uh, again, a, a longer answer probably than you were expecting, but it's the idea of soul is bringing the humanity back to photography because the, the cameras are great, but they've been great for years. And yes, they will continue to get better, but what it accounts for the best photographs, the most resonant photographs of history uh, that people made with the simplest of cameras, um, that's not the function of the camera or the lens. That was the function of that photographer and the choices they made and the person that they were that allowed for or uh, accounted for those decisions. Mm, good. So like there's a lot in there that it's interesting. Uh, one of the, when I saw your, 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 your portfolio, uh, one of the pictures that for me, as you said, it spoke, like I wasn't even looking at like any technical aspect of what the photo could have been. I was just like mesmerized by the image where those black and white pictures of these uh, the Indian people mm -hmm. 
Okay. I think, you know, they, I, I don't know if they're, if they're gurus or, or if they're just yogis. And I thought it was really beautiful. You know, there is one that I love that I think he's smoking and like the smoke is covering half of his face and yeah. you can see his eye. Mm-hmm. And there is like a very strong connection. You also have these beautiful black and white uh, pictures from this uh, tribe in Africa mm-hmm. that are gorgeous. So thank you again. As you said, I'm not thinking about like, not, not even once did I thought, I'm like, oh, what camera did he use? I was just like very connected with the subject. So when you are traveling or when you are approaching strangers, how do you make that connection to create a beautiful, because I mean, I'm assuming, yes, you spend a, a decent amount of time with them. But again, there are strangers. They're not like your family. There's no people that you know in a personal level. How sure. do you make a connection to create a soulful portrait? Well, um, it, it depends. <laughs> Everyone's different. I mean, I, I'm different from everyone that will be watching this or listening to it. But also, we are all different from the people that we're going to photograph. So to say that there is one uh, tactic or approach, uh, I think, w- ignores the fact that we are all so different in every circumstance is different, but it's, forget the camera for a minute. How do any of us connect with people? You, you approach them respectfully with curiosity, you smile, you walk up to them and you say in your worst possible Hindi, my name is David. I come from (laughs) Canada and, and they laugh because it's, it's, they weren't expecting that or because your Hindi is terrible uh, or whatever it is. But if you can get them laughing or if you can show them respect and kindness, I mean, not everyone's a comedian, so that may not be everyone's approach. But if you can engage them somehow, you use the word connection. That's all it is. How do you connect with anyone? And most of us are here's the thing. Most of us know how to connect. The question is not how do we connect? Um, we're just we are just terrified of doing it. We're scared that when we go up and we have this connection, eventually we're going to pull the camera out and hope that they will consent to let us photograph and they're going to say no. And I think our that's our biggest fear is just doing it. And um I, I should, should probably, there are people watching going, well, I could I could never do that. Um I'm not outgoing, I'm not extroverted, I am me myself i am not extroverted i am profoundly introverted i do not like uh walking up to strangers and asking them for their photograph but what i like even less is going home without that experience without those encounters without the photographs yes but first the experience so all i can say is you take a deep breath and you walk up before you can think better of it and you smile and you say hello and so it's awkward. Sometimes it's just, you know, they're like, what's this guy doing? What does he want from me? But if you if they're at a market and you can show interest in what they're selling or they're making or, you know, you just sometimes you just walk up and you just even though they don't speak a word of English, you just say to them, uh, you have a fascinating face and you gesture to your camera. May I photograph you? And they don't understand a word, but our voices communicate kindness they communicate uh respect and compassion and these things that uh, it's hard for us to resist and instead photographers more often than not they do the sneaky hip shot or they use a really long lens from a long way away and so the photographs they don't get connection and they end up looking like a photograph made by a really 
scared photographer of a really um, awkward subject. So my suggestion is just be a human and walk up and say hello and know that some people will say no, and that's fine. But what have you lost? You know, you can, I often will push, you know, if they say no the first time, I will, uh, you know, if they have a really nice beard, I'll say, oh, please, you have such a nice, nice beard. I'll kind of try to get them to laugh a little bit. Um, or I'll back up a little and I'll just photograph. I say, you know, is it okay if I photograph your market stall, you know, and I point the camera away from them and give them time to get used to the idea that I'm, I'm not going away easily. And if, if they see that I'm not a threat and I'm not, most of us, we just, we rush in and we take one snapshot and then we rush away and they've probably had this happen if it's in a place with any tourism at all. They've had this happen a lot. So you have to remember their experience of photographers is colored by 12 other photographers that day, perhaps, or 100 that month. So you have to go in with a different approach with your camera, maybe behind your back or just simply being more respectful and making the relationship the most important thing. And then if you do get the chance, your photographs will be better and you'll, they'll be more relaxed and they'll smile or they'll, the, the tension won't be there. I have to, I mean, I am very fortunate and I get to travel every year. I travel a lot and I have to admit, I am kind of like the shy photographer. I, I, like it, it scares me to like approach a stranger and I don't want to be like invasive. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I think that sure. as you said, you know, like if you go with a good attitude and what's the worst that could happen, they say no. And then you just, you know, move along. You say, thank you. And you know, I, if you've seen any of my stuff about travel photography, I'm always telling people you can't go. I get these emails to say, I'm going to be in Venice for one day. Uh, what should I photograph? And I'm like, you know what? If you're in Venice for one day, you should put your camera down and enjoy Venice. If you're going to go to a place and photograph it meaningfully, you need to stay for a while so that when you approach that person at the stall that you think is really uh, interesting uh, and they say no, that's no big deal because you're going to be back there the next day and the next day and the next day. And I swear to God, I can wear them down with <laughs> With my sense of humor, with my persistence, I will never make people, I try not to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I will keep trying. And often by the end of the week, uh, I've bought chai from them or, you know, if they're selling some fruit, I'll buy it. I may not even eat it. I may give it to a street kid an hour later, but I will interact with them and I will walk the same paths every day so that by the end, they're like, I don't know what this crazy white guy's doing in, you know, Varanasi for three weeks, but he's been here every friggin' day. And they there's a relationship because I've said hi every morning. Sometimes I just leave the guy, good morning, hello. Again, I try to learn some language, but if all you've got is a kind voice and you say hello, good morning, and you keep walking, by the end, they're going to be begging you to make their photograph. I bet. So let's rewind this a little bit and let's talk about how you got started with this travel photography. like. How did it all happen? Well, there's a couple answers. The, the first answer is I was like half the kids that eventually became photographers. I had Steve McCurry's Afghan Girl, the National Geographic cover torn, torn off the magazine on my wall with other National Geographic magazines. And I had this idea that I wanted to see and photograph 
the world. And so I was going to be the next great National Geographic photographer until I found out how much work it is. And I thought, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but that was my, you know, that was my dream was to experience, to see the world. I've been traveling since I was a kid. I got my first passport when I was six months old and was in a military family. So we traveled and, and the travel was built in. And the, when it, I didn't, uh, let me back up. I didn't intend to be a travel photographer. I spent 12 years as a comedian and that career kind of uh, got to a point where I thought, you know what, I'm done. I'm, in fact, I was tired of traveling because I was doing a lot of, you know, I traveled to Nashville or to Toronto or wherever and do a show. And I was just, I was really tired. And at that time I went to Haiti with my cameras in conjunction with an organization and I made some photographs for them. And that trip, I thought, that's what I want to do. Not travel photography. I wanted to tell stories about uh, hope and um, challenge in the developing world. I wanted to be, I thought, you know, I want to be a humanitarian photographer. I didn't even know what that meant. It happens that you end up traveling a lot if you're going to do that kind of work. And and so that was my start, was that I just, I realized this is what I love. Not just making photographs, but making photographs of places that I don't understand, of people that I've never met. And um, so eventually the humanitarian work and the travel photography, though they were side by side for a long time, eventually they kind of diverged into two very separate kinds of things. And uh, now they're kind of coming back together. So I didn't ever intend, I didn't say, I want to be a travel photographer. I said, I want to be a humanitarian photographer. I want to do some good and tell some stories with my cameras. And uh, it very accidentally became that that I was became a traveling photographer. I'm not actually sure there's such a thing as a travel photographer. Right? You know, there's traveling photographers, but in that we all shoot different genres and different styles. And I rather just kind of be a traveling photographer and then photograph whatever appeals to me, whatever story feels right at the time than to be, you know, pigeonholed. So you said at the beginning, you said that uh, you you go and you photograph whatever you want and then you bring your photographs and that's when you either sell them, create a book. Mm. That's how you work, right? You don't have like a specific client, go shoot Istanbul under these conditions per se. Yeah, not, no. Uh, and I never wanted that. I I got enough of that with humanitarian work. It was very uh, rigorous work and I really enjoyed it and I still enjoy it when I do it. But I would prefer to go and experience a place for me the way I experience it and be able to rather than shoot 12 romantic pictures of Istanbul if I find uh, a, a fishing village you know just down the river or something I want to be able I want to have the freedom to explore that uh, and leave the tourist stuff for someone else so uh, I, I have the luxury of being able to follow my muse wherever I go and that I think comes from the fact that I've been doing this a long time. People that are first starting, you just need to do some assignments and do the rigorous work and shoot for someone else. Um, you can still shoot for someone else while maintaining your own creative vision. Hopefully your portfolio represents who you are well enough that when a client says, we want you to shoot Istanbul, they know what they're getting into and it's a collaboration. They are trusting you to interpret Istanbul in a way that appeals to them because they've seen that work in your portfolio. It's people that kind of try to be everything to everyone that run into real problems. Mm, yeah, and that's in the end they they 
they don't have a discernible style and they're just a jack of all trades. And eventually that's good if you want to be a Craigslist shooter and charge bottom dollar. Um, but you, you're not going to make a living that way. You need at some point to say, this is who I am and this is what I photograph. And if you just shoot black and white reportage style stuff, um, that's fine. But you do know that when a client comes and says, you know, we we're really hoping for something more colorful and, you know, bright, moody, Instagrammy stuff. That's not me. And to pigeonhole yourself or to, to try to fit yourself into that pigeonhole uh, would be disastrous, I think, both for you and for the client and for your longtime career. So you, you sort of there is a point at which you kind of got to go, this is what I do. And we change and we grow. And, you know, sometimes I go to Venice and say, I'm going to shoot all moody black and white stuff. And I come back with all this relentlessly cheerful, bright, you know, bright colors. And I think, boy, where did that come from? Um, but you have to on some level, at least personally, you have to have the freedom to follow that rather than even pigeonholing yourself because you just never know. You never know where, when the muse is going to um, take you around an unexpected corner. I like that. I, I also like the, the, the fact that you, when we talk a little bit about uh, being an artist and how a little bit of money, right? It's a little bit mm -hmm. of money in this conversation. I like that because you also wrote a book that is called How to Feed a Starving Artist. Mm -hmm. I have been reading your blog also. You chat about, you know, all this. So, God, in photography, it's kind of, as I call this, like the Wild West. You have people that charge $200 and you have people that charge $20,000 for yep. a wedding. It is like there is not like a standard for anything. And I find this amazing because I have seen people that charge a lot of money that I look at the photos and I'm like, they're nice. I'm not mind blown, but they are killing it. Yep. And it makes me wonder if there is like a mindset. I mean, I'm sure there has to be a mindset because you have to believe it, you know, to get the money. And also people that are really, really good and they're charging pennies because they don't have like the, I don't know, like the confidence to be an ask mm -hmm. for money. I, I think I, one of my great passions is uh, helping photographers with their entrepreneurial craft. I think most photographers worry that they're not going to succeed as a photographer professionally because their, their photographs aren't good enough or they think they will succeed because their photographs are really good. Listen, how good your photographs are to some degree has nothing to do with how successful you will be as a photographer in business because it's a whole separate craft. It's not I make really good photographs. That's great. But how well do you market yourself? How well do you understand your clientele? What value do you deliver to them? And as far as pricing, you're absolutely right. It is it is the Wild West. And I love that it's the Wild West. The fact is, any industry, for the most part, is the Wild West. Sure. For example, you know, um, if you look at uh, the company Rolex, they make uh, expensive timepieces, right? Anyone uh, that owns a Rolex generally speaking, calls it a timepiece, not a watch, but it's a watch. Uh, a Rolex does not keep better time than uh, a $30 Timex. In fact, sometimes it, it keeps worse time than a $30 Timex, and you have to send it in every couple of years to have it cleaned and serviced. It's an investment. The value proposition for a Rolex is different than for a Timex. Timex is takes a licking and keeps on ticking. It's going to tell you the time. Rolex is a statement. Rolex is about craftsmanship and luxury. And uh, it has nothing to do with the ability to keep time any more than how we price ourselves has to do with the ability to make a photograph. And so I can make a portrait 
uh, and Annie Leibovitz can make a portrait. And even if I was as good as Annie Leibovitz in terms of the, you know, my experience and my technical ability, I am not Annie Leibovitz. So she can charge whatever she charges purely based on her name, purely based on the brand of Annie Leibovitz. So people will go to her, not just for a photograph, but for an experience. And they will Definitely. go for something bigger. And so photographers, because we're like, you know, we're always doing this. We spend so much time focused on our photography craft, which you should. But we spent some, spend so much time doing that, that we never hone our business craft. And when I talk to other photographers and, and just say, so tell me about your business model. They, they, they often don't even know what words, like their words coming out of my mouth and they don't understand the language. Look, if you're, if you want to do this professionally, you need to sort of split your personality. You need to continue to grow as a photographer, but you are now an entrepreneur. And if you don't understand finance, if you don't understand marketing, if you don't understand what it means to connect to an audience and serve them value, uh, you will always be sitting there going, gosh, why am I, you know, why, why am I not doing this well? The, the, the number one fear of a lot of photographers is, well, I'm going to price myself out of the market. Rolex doesn't worry about pricing themselves out of the market. Or Ferrari doesn't worry about pricing themselves out of the market. They're, they're not scratching their heads and saying, oh my gosh, you know, how do Taurus, Ford Taurus is sure selling a lot this year. How do we get some of those people Ford Taurus people are, are Ford Taurus people. They're not Ferrari people. And Ferrari doesn't worry about that because they have not priced themselves out of that market. They have priced themselves into a more lucrative market. That's and, exactly what I tell people in my group. I'm like, you need to stop looking around to absolutely. what other people are charging because it has nothing to do with, with you, really. Nothing, nothing to do with you. There is no such thing as competition. Rolex is not looking around. Ferrari's not looking around. You need to decide who is my market and how can I serve them in a unique way. The best opportunity for photographers today is to find an underserved or a an, uh, an underserved niche market that uh, that is either underserved or not served at all and go niche and really really focus on it. I mean, if you want to photograph weddings, like today, if I were a wedding photographer, I would probably specialize in, in uh, same-sex weddings. And I would make that my thing. I, I'm, I mean, I'm heterosexual. That has nothing to do with it. But I would focus on a, on a niche thing and say, this is what we do. And I would become really good at serving Ooh, that particular good. audience. And if you could make it so that it was, you know, Italian same-sex uh, male weddings, I, the the more you can be an expert, the more that you can drill down into a niche, the better. You know, if you're going to be a pet photographer, I mean, really, don't do everything. Be, a, you know, be a cat photographer that focuses on, you know, Siamese cats. Or uh, some of this is a little. Uh, I'm just making it up, but. You see the point. If it's yeah. if it's an underserved niche, that is where you will make your money. And and if you're going to go general, that's fine. But realize your audience is general, and now you're going to have to be you're going to have to come up with a hundred different marketing messages, and you're going to be all over the map. Be something to someone. Stand like 
take a stand, venture an opinion and be that person and just hit that really hard. It's the time has never been, it's never been harder to be a photographer, but it's also never been a better opportunity. The tools are all here. We're just not using our creative uh, entrepreneurial brain. We're worried about whether we should upgrade to the latest camera, forget the latest camera, upgrade your, upgrade your accountant, uh, upgrade your marketing, figure out how you can uh, embrace subscription-based uh, marketing. You know, the subscription economy is huge right now and people are still kind of going, I don't know, should I have a blog? Look, blogs are like 20 years ago. Uh, you need to be looking at the trends that are current now in business and saying, what's coming up? Are you listening to voices like Gary Vaynerchuk? Are you reading current business books, not business books for photographers, business books, and wrapping your head around economics, finance, marketing, sales, how technology is integrating. If you're not doing that, you're missing a huge thing. And all you've got left at the end of the day is I know how to use a camera and nobody is buying I know how to use a camera because we all know how to use a camera. Uncle Phil knows how to use a camera. So why tell me why I should hire you as a wedding photographer and give me a reason to spend $20,000, not a Craigslist $500 shooter. Give me a reason to spend that as opposed to just bringing Uncle Phil. And if you can't, uh, you need to go back to the, to the drawing board and figure out your business model because that's just the reality. Uncle Phil is there with his camera. You need to, figure out why I should hire you instead of Uncle Phil. And that's the big challenge. That's, you know, it's, I don't have an easy answer for you. No, I, I mean, I don't think there is really an easy answer to that question. And I think, you know, it's super valuable what you share because as photographers and creatives, I think sometimes uh, we focus too much on things that are not important. I had my little niece, she was asking me, she's like, oh, I want to be a photographer like you. Where should I go to school? I'm like, you need to go to business school. That's what Absolutely. you need to do. Absolutely. After that, you can, you know, sell popsicles if you want or whatever, but you need to <laughs> learn. Like, that, that's the difference. Like, people that are being very successful is because they know how to run a business. It really mm-hmm. has little to do with their craft. Yep. And that is the reality of it. So talking about businesses and books and all that, how many books have you written, David? I have no idea. <laughs> um, at I, least eight, right? Well, at least ten. Uh, I believe. Plus, you know, I've written a number of ebooks that have never been published traditionally. Um, so 10 traditionally published books and maybe uh, another 20 ebooks on top of that. Wow. Okay. So this might be a difficult question for you to answer, but if there was one of your books that you want to recommend to my audience today that they need to get their hands on today, which book would it be? Uh, it's not hard at all. Without hesitation, I would say the soul of the camera. I awesome. think if if you are already at the point where you're listening to podcasts like this and you know how to focus your camera and you can be reasonably expected to make a, a decent exposure, um, soul of the camera, I think, is is the most important book for personally that I have written. I need um, to get that book. Asap. I, I I think... If we all spent more time paying attention to the photographer and less attention to the gear, don't again, don't get not to the exclusion of learning your craft, but on piggybacked together, um, we would be, you know, people wonder why photography photographers aren't taken seriously. 
I don't think we take ourselves seriously. I, I think we take gear very seriously and the camera manufacturers rely on that. And don't get me wrong, I love gear, but it has its place. And if we don't take ourselves seriously and talk about our craft seriously, and you know, if you are a, a really impatient person, um, you are not going to succeed as well as a travel photographer. And you need to, instead of upgrading your camera, you need to go on a trip and spend more time, spend that money, go to India for three weeks instead of one and spend it all in one or two places instead of going all over the place and learn to be patient. Um, who we are, invest in yourself as a photographer, as a person, um, rather than, you know, upgrade you, skip the upgrade cycle on the latest camera and upgrade you. And uh, that can take a lot of different forms, but uh, invest in your creative life and stop reading the BNH catalog and pick up a novel for God's sakes. And you watch some foreign films and, you know, expand because it's all here. Everything, as much as I talk about heart and soul, it's, it's all here. It's in our minds. And if you are not reading and nurturing a vibrant, creative life and you know going to the wine bar with friends and watching flamenco or whatever and getting because those are the things that are going to filter into your photographs those are the things that are going to make your photographs about life instead of just about how sharp they are ah oh, so good oh, yeah like the power <laughs> i like that that was really yeah Yes, definitely. I think that a good, you know, something to say here, because I don't think you need to be a travel photographer, but this um, thing about patience and about finding your creativity, stop looking at stupid Pinterest, stop doing that. Go, as you said, go read a book, go watch a movie, go to the theater and, you know, watch a show and I guess allow those life experiences to help you with Absolutely. your creativity. That's what it, uh, trying to imitate a picture that somebody else took. It's going to be horrible for you because you're not that photographer. So, yeah, it, I think if we are consuming more than we are creating, uh, we're in trouble. You know, put Facebook down for a while, um, put Instagram down for a while, take some breaks. And go and create. Just play. We, I think photographers need to have more playtime and stop asking, you know, what, how should I do this? Which lens should I use? And, and just go and play. You know, we've talked a lot about in the industry, we talk a lot about personal projects. All your projects should be personal. You should be always working and making something even if it's there's no application for it even if it's a series of beautiful abstract macros of the flowers that are sitting on your dining room table we should be making even our family stuff you imagine at the end of 30 years if you had a body of work that was black and white photographs of your family you know it, that kind of stuff is legacy stuff and that is what's going to drive us on and help us practice our craft on a on a productive day-to-day -day basis, not um, probably not, you know, your, your latest 365 project, which is okay, but it's, it lacks focus. 365 projects are just an oblig. This is my opinion. They're it just an obligation. Kind of. It's an obligation to shoot some random crap that you don't give a damn about. Have an opinion, find something that you care about and focus. Photographers are like ADD kids on sugar we're all over the map We've got to focus and you can focus on several things but at least focus on them and do it well because you can't go uh if you're going to be all over the map you you will never go deep 
And it's the deeper stuff. It's it's getting past the low hanging fruit, which is fine. Low hanging fruit's great. Pick that, enjoy it. But but if you want to get further, you're going to have to go deeper, and that's just going to require some focus. And I don't know why I got. Okay, I just I could preach all day, Carolina. So just jump I in. Like and I like No, no, no. I like this. I think that what you're saying is great. I think that is it's funny how how life works because the past almost like the past four episodes on the podcast we have talked about finding your like go out and play with your camera go and shoot something just for the sake of creativity or for the sake of trying something completely new fail succeed whatever you need to do but go out and stop just shooting clients because i think that as you know professional photographers especially the audience of this podcast is mostly family and wedding photographers we just do the work and then you know, two, three years down the road, we're burned out. Yeah. We hate what we're doing. We're not producing new content that is entertaining or exciting. It's just like the same old photo. And I think it, we get to that point because we are not having fun outside of work per se. So I think that I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, for those of you that are uh, family photographers, take 15 minutes of every session and make that you time and tell your clients, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to try something at the end of this session and then put on your lens baby or, you know, whatever your thing is, but ask your clients, do you mind if I take 15 minutes and try something? I'd love to share the photographs with you, but you know, you need as a photographer to scratch that creative itch. And I, I totally agree. You should go play. You should be exploring that. But even in your work, you should be, playing you should allow yourself the freedom to discover new things because it does get you know we we get in a groove and we're like in this creative groove and everything's going you know you don't have to be in a creative groove very long before it becomes a rut and and then it's really hard to escape so jump those ruts routinely and they will not those grooves will not become you know quite so deep and hard to get out of so I, I just encourage you, I think if you bring a sense of playfulness to your sessions, maybe don't permeate it all the way through and just, you know, throw caution to the wind, but take 15 minutes at the end when everyone's relaxed, when you know you've got the stuff that the client wants and say, I'd like to try something. And then all bets are off, you know, then get the kids running up and hyped up or play with your new Tilt Chef lens or try a different flash technique that you haven't tried you know maybe if you're all about flash try some natural light stuff and vice versa but don't allow your creative groove which is a good thing it's good to be in flow but we can flow down the same path so often that suddenly we find ourselves trapped don't allow that to happen to you good so good so because this is a marketing podcast i like to ask you what's one marketing strategy or tip that has helped you in your business um, be as personal, as uncorporate, and v- as vulnerable and transparent as as you can be. People people want connection, and and they want to know that you understand their concerns. You you need to know what keeps your clients up at night. What is it that they're worried about? And if your only answer is, you know, well, gosh, we need more photographs, they're going to go to anyone with a camera. You need to understand what it is they really want and need. If you're not meeting a perceived need, and then talking about showing it to them in the way that you communicate. Um, that would be one thing I would say, if you're not, if you are not paying attention right now to nurturing a really good email list, 
you are missing. Ah, good. Must, must, must have an email list. That's my second thing. And, and not just a crappy email list, not just subscribe to my newsletter. Look, I I don't want to step on toes, but nobody wants your crappy newsletter. I like it. (laughs) Nobody is sitting there going, you know what I need? I need more newsletters. Nobody, there is nobody in the planet. And yet everyone's got on their website, subscribe to my newsletter. Why? Give me a reason to subscribe to what is it that it, what could you give me that's better than a newsletter? Could you tell me stories? Could you teach me as a, as a, a single dad, how to take better pictures with my iPhone of my kids when I'm not hiring you? Cause I can't hire you every day. How do I photograph everyday life as, as a father or as a mother or whatever it, Teach me something, give me something, entertain me. Nobody gets those things or thinks they are going to get them from a newsletter. Nobody sees that subscribe now and goes, oh my gosh, yay, a newsletter. (laughs) Nobody. So I'm not discouraging email communication. I think uh, my biggest regret is not taking my email list seriously enough for for, um, not taking it seriously enough sooner. Uh, But when I started corresponding with my list in a personal way and sending them not sales all the time, but saying, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm struggling with. I often send my email list uh, little monographs. So I came back from Tonga recently. I photographed these whales and the next email, the next email that my audience will get is got something like a 26 page PDF that's my work with the whales and some excerpts from my journal while I was there, just some of my thoughts and my struggles so that I connect with them. And I'm not saying, hey, buy my crappy, you know, thing. I'm saying, (laughs) here's a gift. I value you. And here's how to be, here's what I consider important as I grow as a photographer. I'm teaching, I'm giving them something. And then once in a while, Based on that relationship, I come into their lives again and say, if you want more, I have this course or this book. And if they don't, that's fine. I keep serving them. So that's the second thing. The third thing is, if you are not considering how you can get on board uh, the subscription economy right now, uh, especially as family photographers, I don't know how this plays out yet, but um, everything is moving towards subscription-based stuff and recurring monthly or annual payments. I think if you can be creative about this, it's something that other photographers are not doing. Why not say to the family, if you subscribe for, you know, for the year, here's what you get. And I will come to your home, you know, this many times and I'll give you, give them a package and make it easy for them instead of going, Oh gosh, we have to get a new photographer this year. You've already got a long-standing relationship. I, I don't know if it will work. This is where the creativity comes in, but there has got to be a way that you can um, that you can start because it's, it's so hard to sell to one person, and then you sell to them, and then they disappear. Right? Why not get them in the fold and then serve them for as long as you possibly can? We spend all our money on getting the client, and then we let them fall away. You know, we it's, we. It's we because we're supposed to like, it's easier to retain a client than to get a new client. Absolutely. And we all talk about word of mouth. Word of mouth is the best. And yet, where do we spend our money? Who is spending? I want to know out there how many uh, are spending their money, uh, their marketing budget on word of mouth. Most of us are still, well, 
not most of us, I'm not, but you know, I did for a long time. I was spending it on other things, postcards and directories and all this stuff. And yet we say word of mouth is the best and we don't spend any money on it. Why not wow your clients? Why not give them a bottle of good wine, not crappy wine, not little penguin, give them a (laughs) bottle of good wine and say, thank you. I would love to uh, photograph for any of your friends and then make it easy for them Then follow up with them. Wow them, surprise them. Keeping your existing clients. Don't spend another penny on, on some of these other ridiculous ego driven marketing things, spend it on your clients and they will return because you are giving them something other people are not. And that is personal attention and care and wow, rather than just how can I make this the cheapest possible experience for them? Wow. Personal attention. I love that because that's something that we all want in our lives and perhaps not something that we all give. Increasingly, it's not something we're getting. Everything is becoming less personal. Our communications are becoming less personal. If you can make everything you do uh, high touch and low tech, it is way better than high tech and low touch. Like that. That's oh, that's so good, David. So many good stuff in this conversation today. We have Desen here. He, I'm gonna pop this uh, here on the comments. It says, "Just one big thank you to both of you, Carolina and David. So many questions about photography and going beyond your comfort zone to create a value images were answered. Definitely a very emotional conversation. I like this." I like that people are finding value in these conversations and that most importantly, that we are giving people something to think about. Oh, I hope so. At the end of the day, I don't want to give you, oh, do X, Y, Z, because you're going to get the result because that's impossible. I want to give people a concept or an idea and for them to take it on their own and make it work for them. Make them think. That's awesome. So David, what is something that you are currently loving? doesn't have to do anything to do with photography or anything. What are something that you're enjoying right now? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to t- take the easy way out and say my time in the water. I, I'm obsessed the, with those photos. I just have <laughs> to say, obsessed. Uh, thank you. Over, over the last couple of years, I have needed something to uh, challenge me and something to be active with. Uh, many uh, people that know me know I had a, an accident uh, seven years ago in Italy and um, I shattered both my feet and I, wow. it's so walking has become very difficult for me. Um, at least anything other than, you know, I can walk around Venice all day, but uh, hiking and any of the stuff I used to do has become very challenging. So I decided that probably if I got in the water with scuba gear uh, or a set of fins and and a mask, I would have the mobility that anyone else does. And so I I challenged myself to take up scuba and uh, to learn underwater photography. And it is by far the hardest thing that I have ever done. I mean, it's, you know, we're all about tripods and, you know, get the camera stationary and you put, you get in the water and suddenly you're floating and there's current and there's, in my case, big animals. I like whales and sharks and big things, you know, and uh, if you want color, you need strobes and they're heavy and it just, everything is different. There's not a single thing that is the same. And it has been the hardest thing photographically that I've done in 30 years. But I am just loving it when you're underwater with, you know, sea lions or whales or dolphins. You are not only is it very meditative, um, 
you know, when you're on the surface, people can say, hey, what f-stop are you using? When you're underwater, no one can talk to you. Uh, it's very meditative. It's very uh, challenging. But there's also that connection, you know, to have a, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, my desktop wallpaper is a, one of my photographs of a baby humpback whale. And I photograph with a 15 millimeter lens. So you look at it and then think that's made with a fifth. Like we're close enough that, you know, if that baby reached out with his pectoral fin, you know, he could kind of karate chop me uh, <laughs> with it. It's it's incredible encounters with uh, the animal kingdom that we don't get. You know, you, rarely do you walk through a forest and have a, a, you know, a moose come up to you and play with you for half an hour. Whereas these baby whales and dolphins and these other encounters are, they're so otherworldly. And it's the one place that I can be where I'm not, I'm so firmly in that moment. I'm not somewhere else. I'm not somewhere else. My mind isn't thinking about anything except right here, right now. And if, if, if it's anything other than that, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, oh yeah, I got to take a picture. Um, you know, it's, it's a really so I'm I'm kind of obsessing about being in the water and doing something new and and challenging and we're uh, we're just talking about buying a house uh, in fact today and so I've so you mentioned Pinterest I'm like I'm scrolling through Pinterest <laughs> boards Pinterest <laughs> but, but not for photographs so much as as design ideas and I'm looking at paint colors and yeah, I'm I'm really I'm excited about uh, this next you know we've been living in the city for a long time and the idea of moving out and having a little bit more space and we have, you know, deer running through our backyard and bunny rabbits on the front lawn. And um, I'm pretty excited about doing something not photography related for a little while and taking a bit of a break. I'm writing uh, a new book, um, which shouldn't surprise anyone. Everyone, every time I tell people I'm taking a break, then I tell them I'm writing a book. And I'm like, oh, of course he is. Um, but I'm writing a follow-up to the soul of the camera called the heart of the photograph. Oh, and, nice. Um, I'm really excited about that. I, I can't even tell you so much what it's about yet because I haven't figured it out myself. But um, it's about what is it in a photograph that we respond to? What are the things in because we always talk about, you know, is it a good photograph? And I think that's such a meaningless question. There's a hundred ways to answer that if you ask a hundred people. But we can ask what makes good photographs for people, you know, and ask better questions like, does that photograph have mystery? Does it have intrigue? Yeah. Does it have nostalgia? Why do we read it this way? Does it have depth? Does it have energy? What makes us say it's a good photograph? What, how do we unpack that? Because I think if we can figure out some of those elements, we get closer to making more meaningful photographs rather than just because right now, when we say, is it good, we default to, well, is it sharp? Is it well exposed? Is it focused right? Um, it's technical stuff that's really, I, I think at this point, we can all focus a camera. We we can all uh, expose. Our iPhone does it perfectly fine on its own most of the time. And yeah. Again, not to take away from the need for craft, but... I think certainly we're not shooting, many of us, we're not shooting with 8 by 10 field cameras and doing wet plates anymore. Um, the, the demands of craft are becoming uh, fewer, uh, allowing us more time, excuse me, more time to spend on the creative stuff and the composition and the, the high touch stuff. Why do we connect to photographs? So mm -hmm. anyway, that's what's, that's what's getting me excited right now.
Well, I mean, I would be pretty excited if I were, you know, swimming with whales too. It would be <laughs> amazing. I don't think that I have the nerves to do that, but I really enjoy your photos. I'm going to put you. a link uh, here on this uh, conversation so people can go and take a look at your work, which is amazing. Uh, where could people find you? Uh, well, the easiest place to find me is at my website. Uh, and despite the fact that I was bad-mouthing blogs, I still do have a blog. Um, <laughs> you do I'll, have a very cool newsletter, too. <laughs> so. Well, I, I, I tell you what, most people get my stuff on my from my newsletter. I, I put the same content mostly on my blog and my newsletter. Um, but if you go to daviddusherman.com, that takes you everywhere. Uh, my educational stuff is mostly available at craftanddivision.com. Uh, but if you go to daviddusherman.com, there are links there that'll take you everywhere in my, my, little, uh, my little ecosphere, uh, including links to my books and my portfolio and my social media presence. Fantastic. I'll make sure to add a link to the audio of this podcast and to this video so people can go and find you. Your work is truly amazing. I am. Thank you. Extremely excited that you came today to talk to all of us. I Me thought too. that there were so many great uh, things in this conversation that I'm going to have to go and rewatch. And you're amazing. So I hope you get that Thank amazing you. house that you're looking forward to get. Thank you. I should find out any moment. Definitely. And I can't wait to see more of your work uh, because it is really beautiful. So, David, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much for your generosity, your time, your you're energy. So amazing. Thank you. And for all of you that, that are watching us today, thank you so much for watching. Still, you can watch the replay if you missed anything. And thanks so much for being a part of the Talk Republic. I'll catch you next week with another conversation. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more info about marketing tips for photographers and show notes, please visit thetogrepublic.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Want even more? Join our marketing community group. Just search for the Tog Republic Group on Facebook. Until next week.